0: We're gonna talk about coming from Devil's Jew It's something you wondered if Talking Joe would ever do I guess we'll explain it all to you Gonna take some time to read the books we've never read Oh-oh Hey, 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 Stephen, I know licks can be deceiving, it's me, Mark, and welcome to Talking Joe, the best and longest running dedicated G.I. Joe Comics podcast. We're big in Macau, don't you know? If you're new to the show, you can find out all of the details over at the website, which is talkingjoe.co.uk. Now, today we are continuing our look at the disavowed era from Devil's Jew with gi joe issue 33 the road less traveled from august 2004 now without further ado about to drop some dope beats from their mics let me introduce my fellow mcs first up it's a real american timberland it's tim finn
1: hello listeners and hello mark I am Tim Finn, and I am here to say I will talk about GI Joe in an interesting way.
0: Excellent. Uh, Yeah, don't do too much defecating on your microphone over there, that that would be appreciated. Uh,
2: Next up, it's Dr. J. It's Jay Cordray. Howdy, Joe fans. Mark's got the dope part right, Uh, but I don't know (laughs) about dropping any beats.
0: Okay, so yeah, where are we? Yeah, so we're talking about uh, issue 33 in just uh, a minute. Before we get into that, I thought I'd just mention for the record uh, that in the week of recording the Kickstarter, the After Action Report G.I. Joe Comic Book Guide Volume 2 The Devil's Due Era 2001-2008 to 2008 by Roger Taft and Josh Egebin has gone live, um, and so... There's some good synergy, as we say, over in corporate land between uh, between the, their Kickstarter and what we're talking about at the moment. It's uh, it's the second of their Kickstarter projects and giving lots of uh, yeah interesting background interviews, co- cover galleries, character guides, all of that sort of stuff for the Devil's Due
2: era. Do either of you guys have the first volume? Uh, I do. I do, and I,
1: I slightly contributed to it.
2: Oh, okay. So they're they're good then.
1: Yeah, it's a nice place to have all in one place, all in your hand, the complete sort of credits and yeah. you know release dates for the comic series and oh, cool uh, all the small variations from the direct market edition to the newsstand edition to a second print. Wow, and maybe it's got a, all that third print. Yeah, so all the covers are reproduced quite small, like nine to a page with. You know, writer, penciler, oh, wow, credits, credits for the issues, anchor, colorist, etc., uh, as well as the covers. And, yeah, the um, nice
0: little uh, sort of thumbnail cover galleries. Oh, that's yeah. very good.
1: And then, and then some sort of bonus bits about, uh, you know, like Hawk showing up in that one issue of Amazing Spider-Man around Secret Wars, or uh, an interview with so and so, or some of the stuff that was published on the side uh that you sort of forget was marvel
0: yeah and i imagine with with the, the, the sort of the marvel is a little bit cleaner because you know it runs issue one up to issue 155 without too much uh too much deviation whereas in the, the devil's jew era and, th- and then into the idw era as well there's a lot more stopping and starting and renumbering and uh all oh, of these yeah. additional specials and things and, and keeping track of what came out when what the best reading order is you know it's not necessarily completely straightforward
2: like the cobra um, the cobra civil war stuff that IDW did that went across well, like that's four gonna, books
1: that's gonna come later cuz this yeah. this volume yeah, is this devils, is, this is yeah. up
2: to 2000 and I missed the yeah. first I missed the ARAW one so I was happy when they on the kickstarter page they they gave you an option of uh, of ordering both of them so that's what I did and I'm I'm anxious to get these good stuff um and
0: uh, yeah hopefully we'll have uh, roger and josh on at some point to cool. to talk about it as as well so that'll be uh, that'll be nice but yeah we're talking about issue 33 today uh, so august 2004 we are traveling back in time to for a story from brandon joa pencils tim Seeley, backgrounds jason millett Inks, Corey Hampshire, Colours, Jeremy Roberts, Letters, Dreamer Design, Editor, Mark Powers, Graphic Design, Mike Norton, Production Assistants, Sean Dove, Military Consultation, Andrew Swenson. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. Let's look at the covers. We've got a cover A from uh, artist Tommy Castillo and a cover B from Michael Turner. In regular foil and sketch variant form.
1: So uh, Tommy Castillo has also drawn a little bit of Batman over at DC. And as far as I can tell, this is his only G.I. Joe work. This is a a painted cover, which is unusual for not just Mm -hmm. Devil's Do G.I. Joe. We've had that one Dan Breriden cover. Uh, and uh, three Dave Dorman covers on, on the spinoff, but unusual for all G.I. Joe uh, comics. You know, not not storybooks or coloring books, but we've, you know, I think we can count on one hand or two uh, the, the painted covers that have been published for G.I. Joe comics. This one has Hawk holding... When I saw the cover initially, I thought it was the Baroness because, you know, sort of in G.I. Joe iconography, if you see a woman with long black hair and she's interacting with a Joe, right? You know, it's, it's not Jinx, right? It's not Scarlet in a wig, but this is actually Hawk's wife. She she does not have glasses, so there is a cue that she's not the Baroness. Um, behind them is a shattered clock, uh, all in yellow. Uh, There's sort of red behind and around them, which is uh, sort of sort of flame, but I think just sort of more of this, an, an atmospheric color treatment because they're not lit as if it's by flame. And then there are uh, a handful of sort of green soldier zombies on the bottom third, uh, reach, reaching up at them with clutching hands. And um, both Hawk and his wife's eyes are closed and her clothes are a little bit torn. She's got a couple nicks on her legs. And it's it's quite dramatic. And the signature is, I think, covered by, I'm going to guess the barcode. But uh, this is one of those you know, sort of pleasantly unusual and striking covers. The painterly treatment is great. It's a, it's a little bit of one of these sort of, you know, it's it's not half painted, half drawn, but it's, you know, it's 95% painted and 5% drawn because all the characters have black outlines. Uh, so it's, it does have a little bit of a traditional pen and ink treatment. You know, if you think of a painter like Dave Dorman or Alex Ross... When one object ends or overlaps with another, there isn't a black outline. So that, that makes this look a little bit more like, quote, regular comics. It's a striking cover. And it's definitely, I, I like it a lot. I, I kind of want there to be a couple of words of copy, you know, like, shards of a Joe's broken mind, or, <laughs> uh, you know, look out, hawk. Uh, your memories are coming <laughs> to get you. I mean it doesn't have to be silver Age and throwbacky, and um it is it does do sort of the work itself without any copy. I certainly don't want any word balloons, but some something about the composition you know like there's enough negative space next to the eight and the seven. It's like there could be there could be something maybe i want maybe I want one or two more elements in the art, like another arm reaching in sort of between the eight and the seven or Uh, to the left of the, uh, I guess it's a four. And then uh, the other cover is printed on the inside as a sort of full page, title page marquee art for this backup story. And so that image is Michael Turner colored by Peter Stegerwald and its wraith uh, hunched over, sort of turning back to look at you with uh, a, a fancy blade sticking out of its fancy wrist gauntlet and uh, it's illuminated by its er, left arm technology and its eyes. There's sort of a blue highlight on the bottom. You can see through it to the moon behind it. There are some nighttime clouds, which kind of look like daytime clouds with a filter over them. And it's uh, the whole character is standing on uh, the corner of a, of a wall with um, barbed wire. And I think I made this point in a previous uh, episode when we're talking about Michael Turner covers for that um, Serpentor arc. Michael Turner draws very exciting images. I feel like he gets, he does 40% of the work for his covers. And Peter Stigerwald, his colorist, does 60% of the work. And I feel like Turner gets like 95% of the credit. Like People think of Michael Turner covers and part of what they're reacting to is the like gorgeous color and lighting and sense of dimensionality and light sourcing and highlights and shininess and sunsets and reflective water and metallic uh, textures. And uh, you can really see it when you look at Turner's, the the pencil sketch variants of his covers and the pencil sketch variant of, of this cover. uh, It's a good drawing, but you know, Turner's not making any decisions about about light source, and he doesn't really make any decisions about uh, line weight because his his penciling style is uh, so modern. So um, a pretty cover, but I I prefer I prefer cover A.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I shot in um, as a message over the messenger just just now as well uh, a link to a Chris Warner Predator image from from Dark Horse, um, which. Is, is not a swipe, but potentially, you know, an influence, indirect or, or, or not. But, um, you know, the the wraith costume sort of does definitely put you in in mind of of the predator with that long wrist blade and the sort of the camouflaging technology and the and the mask, and, and I think that pose that on on this cover, sort of with that with that other predator image in mind, sort of quite quite a bit of uh similarity.
2: Yeah, hmm. Jay. Yeah, I think they're they're pretty similar. And, and like you said, I really hadn't thought about it until you said it just now that Wraith, it, it basically is Predator minus the dreadlocks, you know, in the in the crab face, uh, you know, you've got the invisibility, the the knife things. I like both these covers. Turner's uh, Turner's an interesting artist. And I, I mean, Tim's brought this up before about Steger. we uh sorry, the colorist doing uh, a lot of the, <laughs> the work. I'm not even going to try because I'll butcher it. Uh, and it's true. I mean, you know, I, I run the, the Fans of Al Williamson Facebook page, and, and Williamson's one of my favorite artists because I feel like you can look at his work and it can stand on its own without color because he does use a lot of uh, shadows and blacks, but not like a Mike Mignola level of, of black. Not anything more than he needs to, but, but the shadows are included in that. And that's why I generally uh, prefer to see black and white artwork that, you know, is able to stand on its own. You look at the you know, basically what Turner did and probably that's as much as he did. And, and you know, and then uh, somebody inked it and and then colored it.
1: I don't think anybody inked it.
2: It just. Oh, you, you don't think so?
1: No. Yeah, it was, it was just it's, straight. Uh, St- yeah. Stegerwald just darkened the pencils in Photoshop and went to town, which is fine. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That is that is a different technique.
2: Yeah, it's good. It's it's really good. And and Stegerwald colors definitely. I mean, he's fantastic, but it's just a different style of artwork. Uh, than than what I the, you know, than what I like. And, and like I said, I, I prefer really for pencil artists and, and to be more rounded. You know, I, I'd like like I've said online, I'd love to see these books collected uh, all black and white. And that's largely because the colors are so bad. But um I just prefer, you know, straight pencils. And especially as as coloring technologies uh, progressed and evolved over the years, the original artwork looks the same, you know. It, something drawn in in nineteen thirty, the black and white artwork looks the same then as it you know now as it does then, minus some some aging. But um coloring fades and and printing affects it. Um, so yeah, just as an artist, I, I I tend to like the more pure black and white. Uh, but that's a completely long-winded unnecessary tangent (laughs) both of these are good covers the the first one is uh is strange and when i saw that i was like wow that's a different gi joe cover but um i like it i think the only thing that i might have done differently or or that i think maybe would have helped it a little is maybe if hawk was a little more straight on more kind of the the crisis on infinite earth pose oh yeah of course yeah yeah um you know and maybe just make the figures a little bigger to fill out some of that negative space but uh yeah, yeah it's an interesting cover definitely one that i would both of these would interest me in the store to pick it up and, and take a look and see what's going on
1: I think part of what I'm reacting to in the negative space if if the painted cover a if it was just blown up 10% yeah if it if uh, if if the top of the clock were actually cropped at the top edge of the comic book right if we just zoomed in 10% yeah um, then I think it would it would it would make use of the rectangle of the frame a little better. Part of also why I'm uh, a little less interested in cover B is that for this issue and the two previous issues, cover B is both a cover and also half obstructed, yes, but a full-page marquee pinup halfway through the comic to kick off the backup story. And I feel like if you buy cover B, to some extent you're getting it twice and then you don't get cover A at all. And that's, that's less value for me. So in this case, I would definitely buy cover A. Because I'm getting a version of Cover B inside, and you know, if, if Turner was my favorite artist, I'd you know buy Cover B. Um, but it's like I'm already getting Cover B on the inside, so um, I also it's interesting. The, the last thing I'll say about Cover A is that this is maybe the only time in all of GI Joe comics history when um, a a supporting character who we've sort of never seen before, like a you know a civilian, like a non-player character. You know, it's like this isn't Sparks or Admiral Ledger um, or, you know, General Flag, but like someone's friend or kid or spouse or neighbor is not only on the cover, but sort of the primary aspect of the cover. Like it's not Lady J who he's holding Um, and Lady J is in the issue and that's fine. You know, like this series is about their, uh, you know, the Joes have come back and they do have families and certainly um, Hawk's wife is a part of this issue. Um, But In the sort of rules of, you know, comic book covers, you know, do you want to give this much prime real estate to a character who, yes, is important to this story, but that character is not going to sell the comic, you know, like imagine you're standing at the comic book store in 2004 and you're like, oh
2: man, Hawk, I'm sure I'm worried about
1: Hawk's friend.
2: And it's not even really a great representation of Hawk. Like I'm not going to look at that cover and immediately know that that's Hawk. Just
1: yeah, it sort of looks you know, like Duke, and it sort of looks like a lot of like guys. A, there's there's yeah, just it's a guy enough, in
2: a big coat. It doesn't really say Hawk to me.
1: There's just enough of his costume that it's 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 more Hawk mm. than any other Joe. Like it's not shipwreck, it's not Stalker, <laughs> but um, I mean, ice cream soldier maybe um, could be,
2: could be. In, in civilian clothes, but. Uh, could be airtight, could be barbecue. We don't know what those guys look like.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, what, what are the cues that say Hawk? Helmet, pistol, this jacket with the fur lining, um, a different color for the shirt, right? The the shirt color is not helping here because that shirt color does say a little bit more Duke than it does Hawk. Hmm. Um, and, you know, if, if if your response is like, Tim, you're nitpicking a uh, fictional listener of the podcast. <laughs> um it's like, yeah, but these are the cues that tell us who these characters are. You know? Yeah. If Hawk isn't wearing his coat, then who, who is it?
0: I was gonna say that that Jay's examples of people without their, their helmets, airtight and barbecue aren't necessarily the greatest examples because when when you said that, I instantly pictured them in my mind's eye um from their various from the appearances from the cartoons. And yeah. Um, cause yeah, Eto's kind of got uh, almost Norman Os- Osborn esque kind of yep. peak to his hairstyle, isn't he? And then sort of barbecue's got kind of sort of ready ish hair, sort of a bit kind of ruddy faced or
2: whatever, and, and a red shirt. Real quick aside, I wish that the classified people would put alternate heads in with like the barbecue. Mm, that you know, so fun. we could pull yeah, his yeah. head off with the helmet and you know stick the curly head on there from the cartoon. That'd be awesome.
1: Maybe that's going to be a uh, a Python patrol classified uh, variant coming up with a different head for you to choose it'll
2: probably be an ultimate variant from super Mm. (laughs) seven yeah if you want to if you
1: want to pay twice as much you can get that head
2: right Mm. and an additional
0: aside talking again about this this cover a uh cover and the post and, and jay talked about the crisis on infinite earth's post and it brought me in mind actually that over on the talking joe facebook group i shared a post from mm-hmm. S.L. Gallant talking about issue 290, which was drawn originally by Andrew Lee Griffith. And there was this panel of horror show in the back of the van, sort of cradling Dana and S.L. Gallant had a go as well at, at sort of trying to do his take on that specific panel. And he noted that in the, the script from, from Larry, it asked for a Pieta-like pose. So mm-hmm. so it's kind of a callback to this um, very famous statue um
1: isn't the isn't the pieta mary holding jesus by michelangelo
0: i would expect so larry says don't look at george perez look at classical artwork well yeah it might might well be <laughs> that that's what kind of inspired it all to begin with but who knows but um this this cover here sort of puts me much more in mind of that that statue than it does of necessarily the the crisis on Infinite arts thus, but let's let's move
1: on away from. That was a beautiful from, statue. Let's say let's say one last thing about Cover A. Uh, artist Tommy Castillo passed away, uh, passed away in 2017, uh, oh. at the at the young age of 46. So, Oof. his one GI Joe contribution, quite quite lovely.
2: Rest in peace.
1: Let's talk about the comic.
2: Jay, do you have a? Plot Breakdown for us. I do indeed. 77 miles northwest of Washington, D.C., Hawk has been shot by Cobra Commander. The time is 4.39 p.m. Hawk wakes up in a hospital bed surrounded by Joes. Duke tells Hawk that Destro was recaptured by the Joe team shortly after being released by the United Nations. Within 24 hours of Destro's capture, The U.S. president authorized a missile attack on Cobra Island that resulted in the deaths of the Baroness, Storm Shadow, and the Crimson Twins, among others. Hawk is then told the Joe team has once again been stripped back to a small group of 12 Joes and that he's been in a coma for eight months. Hawk returns to the pit to address the Joes but begins hallucinating and passes out. Later Hawk is at home with his much younger wife, Carol Lee, as they prepare for his retirement party. At the party, Hawk is offered an advisory position by the president, which he promptly declines. At the bar, Hawk sits down between John Wayne and Hunter S. Thompson. The Duke tells Hawk the Joes did a fine job putting a stop to Cobra, while Thompson reminds Hawk once again of the price paid for victory. Later, Luke tells Yoda he has to go in the tree. Yoda says he's not ready for what he might find. After the party, Hawk fights Cobra Commander in Blackwater Prison. Cobra Commander taunts Hawk by telling him Cobra lives. The Commander reminds Hawk that Zartan and Dr. Mindminder are still on the loose. The Commander tells Hawk he's giving up before the job is done. Close enough. Is that it? He asks. Hawk tells Cobra Commander he doesn't have any regrets. All I have is the satisfaction of knowing I destroyed you, he says. Hawk grabs Cobra Commander by the shirt collar and pulls him out of the shadows, but when he does so, the face staring back at him is his own. You didn't destroy me, Cobra Commander says. You made me. Hawk wakes up in the bed. Another bad dream. His wife sits down on the bed beside him. She tells him nothing can keep them apart and they were meant to be together forever. Just then the phone rings. Zartan is expected to be in Prague in the morning, and Hawk wants to be there waiting for him. He tells Lee he'll only be gone two days. However, as he turns to leave, Lee becomes a terrible rotting corpse. She puts her bony claws around Hawk's throat. Hawk screams. 4.40 p.m., 77 miles northwest of Washington, D.C. As Hawk is loaded onto a chopper, he tells Stalker he can't feel his legs. Later, Duke visits Hawk in the hospital. He's brought something from home. A doctor comes in and tells Hawk there's a bullet lodged in his spinal column. The doctor says until a bullet is removed, Hawk will have no use of his legs. Hawk tells Duke and the doctor to leave. Once he's alone, he opens the folder brought to him by his friend. Inside is an old newspaper clipping with a photo of Carol Lee that reads, Local woman killed in auto accident. And in much smaller print below the headline, Bank clerk to wed army colonel in less than a month. The end. Thank you, Jay. I
0: think a page might have been missing from my copy of uh, this. There was a little bit of the story that I I seem to have missed. Did I, did I detect a little bit of a note of disdain there
2: about the age of Carolee
0: (laughs) compared to
2: Hawke? At first, yeah, but we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. That was a, that was a a cue in the story. And, And at first I was kind of like, when I'm reading it, I was like, okay, this is either two things. Tim Seeley doesn't know how to draw older women. Uh, because, you know, obviously she's much younger than than um, than than Hawk or Hawk just, you know, is uh, what Ed O'Neill in, in modern family that's got a much younger, you know, sexier uh, wife. But then, you know, when we when we find out the hook at the end that she's actually been dead for all these years and that's what she looked like. When he, he remembers her. her. So mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, at first I was like when I first saw her, you know, he hadn't put it together yet. I was like, what? <laughs> Come on, she's like 20, you know? Uh, so, yeah, that was kind of a that was the first hint that something's off. But I'm glad that it was because, man, I was reading that first paragraph or when he wakes up in the bed and they're like, I had to reread it like three times and they're like, uh, Zart or uh, Destro's dead and Baroness is dead and the twins are dead. And I'm like, what? And I just kept remembering uh, Brandon saying everything's going to change. And I'm like, wow, he wasn't. <laughs> shit. <shitting. laughs> and like the first season of game of throne uh, it all yeah. happened off panel. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I uh no no and and it wasn't uh, it wasn't necessarily disdain or anything. It was just kind of a well, why is she so much younger? But but it was a it was a story point, so it it worked out. Mhm. So mm-hmm.
0: Kudos um, to both of them. So so I guess uh looking back to our discussion last time we had a long discussion about uh, sort of a reaction almost to to Tim's assertion that um, Hawk had died at the end of the issue, and I was like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> um, so, Tim, how did you react to to this this issue and and kind of the reveal that um, Hawk wasn't laying dead at the end of the last uh, last issue?
1: Well, in the on page two, I thought, "Wait a minute, that doesn't work." He was definitely shot dead or would die on the operating table soon after or in the medevac chopper. So, you know, and then uh, page three where Lady J says, no, we, we sort of won. And then Hawk says, Cobra is gone. What about the team? And I turn the page and Flint says, we've been moved back to a core unit of 12. And I thought, oh, this is, this is, there's no place like Springfield. Mm which is uh, the two episodes, the two-parter from 1985 that ends uh, season one of G.I. Joe. It's the final two episodes to air in 1985, uh, which actually probably means it aired in early 86. But um, Steve Gerber wrote this two-parter. He was the story editor. He was the main story editor for season one. And he he wrote only a few episodes, but his fingerprints are all over all of them. And in that two-parter, at the beginning... Uh, Shipwreck and another Joe land on an island on a beach to extract a scientist who's escaped from Cobra. And he plants a, uh, a formula in Shipwreck's head. Shipwreck's shark, the vehicle, goes underwater and he's, he almost drowns. And he wakes up five years later. He's got gray in his beard. He lives in the suburbs. He's married. And he's married to a character that had been in a previous episode of G.I. Joe. Cobra has been defeated. And and his wife Mara explains to him, and there's a there's a there's a very quick sort of B roll uh, like flashback um, that the Joes beat Cobra, Shipwreck was the hero, uh, and the Joes have disbanded, and so Shipwreck's having this hard time adjusting to civilian life because it all seems like it was just yesterday because it was, and the the two parter is great. It's got some. Uh, some of the animation is uh, not amazing because we're pretty far away from the beginning of the season. So to the extent that I have seen this kind of story before in G.I. Joe, this was, uh, I, I don't want to say a disappointment or not well done, uh, but familiar. And uh, I think that Jirwa does uh, a lot of good work in this one issue that is in fact shorter than most issues because of the backup story. And then yeah the 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 ending is a is a good gut punch.
2: Mhm. I was kind of surprised. It feels to me like this is a a very different uh story for for GI Joe. Yeah. You know? I mean does it yeah seem like I mean the whole thing is a is a is a have we ever had an issue where basically the entire thing was a dream?
1: Yeah, and a, or a dream within a dream. You yeah. know, the the closest you get to that in right, uh, right. in in the Larry Hama series is a flashback to Vietnam or someone in the brainwave scanner, which is to Mm -hmm. say you don't get anything like this in the real American hero, Larry Hama book. And nothing like this happened in the Josh Blaylock run. And I, I don't think anything like this happened in the Chuck Dixon, you know, IDW continuity. So not just for the painted cover and for the civilian on the cover and the zombies on the cover, right? We don't see that on G.I. Joe covers. I know much later a a, a zombie action figure, well, the tux, Toxo Viper. Okay. Um, but, you know, uh, Yes, highly unusual. I mean, this feels like an issue of... I don't mean this as an insult. This just feels like an issue of of a different series. You know, like a yeah. Punisher comic where he's remembering his wife and kids or a Wolverine comic where he's remembering Mariko or a Batman comic where he's thinking of uh, Talia or his parents. You know, we've seen... Like, there's an episode of Batman the Animated Series where he's, like, living this life as if his parents hadn't uh, been, you know, been murdered.
2: What it made me think of was... um I think it was issue nine or uh, it was one of the earlier issues of The Invisibles by Grant Morrison uh, called Dead Man Fall. And it was in the very first story arc, King Mob, who is a, an anarchist, is rescuing a young boy from uh, like a, an institute. And he, as he's rescuing him, he's, you know, shooting people because that's what you do. And um, just in one kind of panel in that first series, there's a guard that says something, you know, just a moment before King Mob shoots him. And then nine issues later or something, the entire issue is devoted to that guard's basically that I don't know whether it's it's that guard's life flashing before his eyes or it's just a summary of that guard's life in a sense up until that point. But it's just completely random. There's things that are in that that kind of link it to the main story, but only to show that it's, you know, tangent and gently linked. Uh, but it was just such a, a big departure. And being one of the earlier issues of the series, that was fine because you're like, oh, okay, well, we can get all kinds of different stories then from this. But like I said, it's just different to see this type of story from G.I. Joe. I'm not complaining about it at all. I did like it. I just thought it was a very different kind of story than than what we what we usually see. Mark?
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it was one of my, my, one of my few notes on this one was – it, yeah, feels very different mm-hmm. to a typical GI Joe story. I was looking for kind of Easter eggs and things like that, and I was I was wondering um, whether we'd seen Hawk's wife before, because it does seem a little bit a little out of the uh, out of the blue. But I guess it being more unknown gives uh, you know makes sense with the with the payoff at the end. I wondered whether it might be the the character from GI Joe and the Transformers crossover from Marvel, because there's a sort of a, a romantic link there um she, the, was, the she was
1: blonde
0: yeah senator barbara larkin um yeah not the same not the same person but wondered whether it was so i looked up and uh and yeah confirmed
2: it's not yeah i don't think we've seen anything really of, of hawk's personal life at least not one not any of the issues mm. that i have i read
1: i don't like that lady j cries well
2: it's this not the is... first time lady j's cried in the right series.
1: this is here's this here's this Phenomenon again in The Devil's Do G.I. Joe, where <laughs> something is sad, and, and the
2: reason she's crying is like not even one of the bigger things that she should be crying about. It's like, Hawk, it's been eight months. Okay. Yeah. I, I was looking at that and wondering whether you, which which Lady J you were talking
0: about, because there's Lady J at the beginning of the book, which is a dream Lady J crying, <laughs> and then there's a character at the end of the book, which is Paige Adams, Tim's favorite character, crying. Right. Yes. Thank. Yes. Thank. She's you so. also actually, crying. <laughs> yeah. So and and looking. All- <laughs> right. Okay. Let's <laughs> very confusingly. So
1: let so let's start at the end. Right. So Paige Adams is crying because her commanding officer has been shot, and he he might die, or you know he might be permanently injured. But the two guys. Who look exactly the uh, stalker and a and a mirror propped up on the other side of the panel that is the brought, stalker like, twins that's reflecting an image of stalker on the other side of the panel. Neither of them are crying.
0: <laughs> that's really confusing. Uh, yeah, what's is that? that, all that about? I
1: think I th- uh, I think left is stalker and right is dial tone. Dial tone.
0: Dial tone covered colored to look like stalker again. But maybe there's, there's <laughs> this
1: thing where there's this thing where colorists are like they color African Americans very very lightly and then if they color a caucasian person like the slightest bit darker or more red because i don't know it's nighttime or the sun is out like everyone sort of looks the same it's like no on the cartoon or in a marvel issue dial tone next to uh, stalker very different from each other yeah um anyway um so page adams is crying and I guess I guess women are emotional. I guess women are emotional and quickly given to tears when sad things happen to men who they love and respect in The Devil's do Run. Both in the real world, with here with Paige Adams, and also in Hawk's hallucination dream fantasy, where uh, at the beginning of the scene and at the end of the scene, but not in the middle of the scene, lady jay is crying she's crying it's really really small and hard to see but on page two of this comic after the close-up of the watch which by the way i have a problem with uh lady J says it is he and there are little tears on the side of one of her eyes and then turn the page and she's giving him the bad news that he's been out for eight months and she's tearing up and in that same scene duke and flint are not because men are tough and they don't show their emotions and i guess you could argue that uh, in military culture like in combat you know like men don't and they should they should talk about their feelings and you know talk to therapists um so maybe this is a reflection of the time but it it just rings i don't want to say false or hollow but it 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 reflects poorly you know, it's like Scarlet is sad every time Snake Eyes five and ten issues earlier needs to go back to the war and can't like be with her and the wolf in their really? cabin. You
2: had to mention Scarlet.
1: Um, so uh, it, th- this won't do any good because these comics have been printed and they exist. But devils do. Knock it off. Interestingly, uh, int- interestingly, the character the character who should be crying in this story, Hawk's wife, doesn't. Does Hawk? No, because he's a tough guy. Yeah,
2: John he, Wayne doesn't he do, he cry. Does,
0: he does have a tear as he's loaded into the helicopter at the uh, very wimp.
1: Alright, alright. So for my two the for the two problems of gender inequity here, one of them <laughs> gets counterbalanced, right? But like yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's fine. We'll let him have it. He also does a sad face on the, <laughs> the last page. Hey, when when have we ever, or or will we ever again, get a G.I. Joe comic with John Wayne and Hunter S. Thompson in it? We should, uh, <laughs> John we should Wayne, know, maybe, but I don't think we're going to see Hunter Thompson again. Uh, I,
1: I'd, I'd like to give some uh, credits to uh, Brandon Jirwa for... Uh, I don't think I would have quite figured out who both of those characters were. I would have figured out who one of them was. Yeah. Um, But when we did our um, anniversary episode of this podcast, I guess I'm talking to the newest listeners who are who haven't caught up. Brandon Drew sent in a trivia question. Do I have this right, Mark? Yep, that's right. And uh, and his trivia question was uh, uh, revealed these these two sort of celebrity cameos in in that (laughs) panel where Duke's at the at the the bar. Excuse me. Hawk uh, is at the bar.
0: Hawk is at the bar, and on either side is a uh, two Dukes: Raul Duke, the Huntress Thompson, and the Duke, uh, John John Wayne. Right. And so, and if, Brandon's thinking was that that maybe uh, in in Hawk's dream, he's he's sort of he's he's subconsciously thinking about Duke, and maybe that there's two Dukes. Maybe the real Duke isn't Duke.
2: Could have had the real Duke in there. Have three Dukes. <laughs> <laughs> Why not?
1: How about uh how about some uh speed limit breaking moonshiners who drive uh 1970s Dodge Charger Beau Duke and Luke Duke <laughs> or their cousins from the season where uh the two actors wanted too much money, <laughs> Coy Duke and Vance Duke.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> or,
1: or, or their or their cousin Daisy Duke. She could be she could be the she could be the waitress. I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
0: she's if, the, you she's and, the, if you ju- put Bo
2: and you put and Luke in here, you you can't leave out Daisy.
0: <laughs> she's the latest GI Joe sniper. <laughs> <laughs> um.
1: So, uh, uh, what else about the issue, uh, is is working, or is a surprise, or is not working for
0: you two? I, th- I thought it was interesting some of the sort of the cameos in the near the beginning of the book and and sort of later, you know, maybe that being a hint that that something is a bit off that we had um, Storm Shadow in his V2 gear. Mm-hmm. And actually all of the rest of the Joes were all in their in their early outfits as well, rather than the, like the likes of Scarlet is in her uh, classic v- V1 outfits. And that's, you know, because Hawk is is remembering the characters as he best knows them. And, and then in the canteen later on, uh, we've got a cameo f- of uh, a couple of more random, oh, sort of more obscure G.I. Joes. We have the Ice Cream Soldier and also uh, Super Soldier. And I think that might be Super, Super Trooper. Soldier, sorry. Super Trooper. Yes. Thank you, Tim. Might be Super Trooper's only appearance in the in a proper uh, G.I. Joe comic outside of Action Force Monthly slash European missions.
2: Has Ice Cream Soldier appeared somewhere?
0: Um, I have a feeling that he has cameoed in the background in a couple of places. May- maybe his next, may- maybe not up until this point, but, but I'm pretty sure yeah, he's been in the background after. in IDW era. Uh, All right.
1: Man, Tim Seeley sure draws a lot of profiles. Oof. I think that I think the standard Tim Seeley head and face is good and there are a lot of facial expressions in this whole issue and the scene with Cobra Commander in jail a lot of expressive body language but like there is there's so much one point perspective where we're just looking straight on at at something you know character in front of a doorway uh, character in a room uh, a character sitting in bed, a character lying in bed and someone standing behind them in front of a curtain, a doctor coming in the room. There's, There are so many sort of uh, flat, not exciting, quote, camera angles in this issue. And uh, so, so the, the, the Tim Seeley one-two punch for me of not that exciting, of a lot of straight on shots where... The background feels a little bit like an afterthought. It's like, okay, I'm going to draw this character and I'm going to figure out the background around them, behind them, as opposed to like, okay, where does the camera need to be sort of for maximum drama and clarity in this panel?
0: And indeed, the background is credited to a different artist, Jason Millet. Oh.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and then the, um, uh, I mean, there's, there's a consistency, right, to to all of these heads and faces but there are there are so many side profile shots um here and uh, um, i find the art um boring is too is mean and i I don't i don't want to say boring because um this story it this this issue is all sort of talking and there isn't a fight with with guns and vehicles or like sword play. There isn't like someone climbing a ladder and sneaking through an air conditioning duct. This is all like a speech and talking and lying in bed and at the breakfast table. So um, to some extent, layouts with without flair are appropriate here, but I see this less as a choice to reflect the mood of the story and more of a, of a limitation. Mm-hmm not never un, never unclear but needs a little more flair because like this is this is a comic book like i'm trying to be entertained right like i'm not reading I'm not reading a script for like a one act play like i'm reading a G.H.O. comic you know like like this needs some oomph
0: so i i had some error detect uh, sorry some i spies written
2: down but we've covered them all as we've gone um, i have one little i spy i just noticed I think it's it's either page 13 or 14 uh, where Hawk goes to visit Cobra commander in jail. Now, again, this is interesting because like we said, this is all in Hawk's head. And and I think Tim said a moment ago or, or, or maybe it was Mark that in the scene where the Joe's all turn into zombies, he's seeing them as he knows them best as he recruited them, you know, as they were when they first joined the team. So what we're seeing in this dream sequence of Hawks is the things that Hawk attaches to People in his mind, and there's a photograph of Billy sitting on a table in Cobra Commander's cell beside Cobra Commander. So in Hawk's mind, Hawk always has in, in his mind that Cobra Commander has a son and and is a father.
1: Hmm. Uh, we 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 could also talk for a moment about how the in with this this prison scene where he's talking to Cobra Commander, uh, and then the reveal after the page turn is that. Cobra Commander is Hawk, right? They have the same face. But the page before that, when Hawk says, uh, all I have to do is think about you rotting in this hole and I sleep like a baby, he he's, he's frowning and smiling evilly.
2: Yeah, I don't like that face.
1: And then he says, I hope they show you a thousand hells before you burn for good. But I'm not sure if the script is sort of encouraging in the depiction that Hawk is the bad guy in that, evil smile panel panel two on this page because i guess he and cover commander are are the same you know they're opposite sides of a coin or if uh if seely just went a little too far with the frowning smile and he looks like a villain here
2: i think that's probably it yeah that that panel in particular stuck out as like that's not and we've seen Seely do that with other in other uh, instances along the same kind of thing where a character is supposed to be smiling or, you know, looking one way and it just kind of comes off as not quite what, you know, it's like, yeah, we could see Hawk smiling and, and being kind of happy about that, but he's like you said, he's not going to look like a supervillain. <laughs> That's like a Joker face.
1: Mark, did I cut you off a minute ago? Were you about to segue?
0: um i was gonna i was gonna segue into a quote of the week if we're done looking at the main bits of the book was there anything that jumped out at you quote of the week 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 quote of the
2: week i don't think i had (laughs) any particular quotes that i struck out or stuck out at me
0: i had um a line from raoul duke um who says uh, to hawk that american dream they pin to your chest gets a little bit heavier every time doesn't it, it struck me as a as a line with a little bit of gravitas hmm. to it
2: yeah
1: uh my error detected should i do that
2: error
0: detected error detected no prize incoming
1: This this is a small technical thing on page two when we're zooming into the wristwatch and it says four thirty-nine in sort of wiggly digital font. The that's that's part of the lettering layer where it says four thirty-nine. Yeah. That's not artwork, that's lettering. And it's colored black, but all of the all of the black on that panel mm-hmm. in the art of the, the outline of the wrist and the outline of the watch is a little bit faded it's a little bit fuzzy and dark gray and so this 439 looks like it's floating on top of it like it's like it's floating like an inch higher you know it's like perfectly in focus crisp black font and that as a as a technical thing that needs to be fuzzed out a little bit and made gray (laughs) yeah they need to Um, make
0: it they needed to make it the same layer as the original art and then apply the the same Fuzz, fuzz out yes. um, effect then, in Photoshop or whatever it is.
1: And then my second one is uh, at the reception with the president. And the president also looks like Hawk. His hair is different, <laughs> but um, I don't know if that's because, you know, seeley's just sort of drawing a stock face or if something in the script, it's like, it's supposed to be this celebrity. And it sort of looks like Hawk or it's sort of supposed to be Hawk. Um, but Hawk's wife walks up to him. And the president says, I'd make sure the lovely lady doesn't have an empty glass for long. Her glass is full. And then in the, in the next page, Hawk walks to the bar with a full <laughs> glass. In the first panel, it's very short. I don't understand. It's like, a, it's like a, a different glass, but okay. And then at the bar, he asks for another glass of white, but his... <laughs> His glass is full and also there's like brown liquid in it. So I, 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 th- I think the continuity of who has what drink, where they are with it, and what <laughs> kind of drink it is, is a little off. And if, mm. you know, if that seems too nitpicky, you know, it's a it's a detail that everyone could get right. You know, the colorist could get it right and the artist could get it right and the scripter could get it right. Um, so not a big deal, but I, I did We'll blame, blame that,
2: that one on Hawk's subconscious mind. Yeah. Okay, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a dream state. It's another he, clue yeah, to him. It's he, another clue that he's having yeah, a dream and things maybe aren't making sense. Glasses in dreams are always half full. <laughs>
1: there's a, there's a, there's a couple panels that didn't get drawn where he, he downs the glass and he looks at it <laughs> and it refills magically. And he goes, and he what? One. And he downs it again. And he looks to the left and the right and the bartender is a rotting corpse or something. And
0: and uh and do du- and the the duke john wayne here is is fairly fairly aggressive to hawk really about his his drinks order that damn sure <laughs> better be for a woman soldier <laughs> oh, sorry, said, you, know yeah. <laughs> you know it is you know it is yeah um, no, play's I, gonna play <laughs>
1: i have um this same this same page where uh hawk goes to the bar and um, the Hunter S. Thompson character and John Wayne are there um, this is a good example for me of what I would call ugly gradients
0: oh yeah we see devil's Jew colors distracting you I see devil's dew colors light sources don't seem true so Tim's not afraid to let them no devil's due colors, due colors are awful, like B- bad bad
1: guano. Ugly gradients, where where in Photoshop you can take any color and have the computer interpolate it into another color, right? So if it was something like yellow to orange or like red to pink that might be for a sunset if it were like sort of like peach caucasian to gray like it is here I think that in a very general sense just sort of fills the space of these talking head panels where it's like oh you know it there, there's a wall back there it's metal because I think we're uh, in some kind of uh, actually you know what not I don't only don't know do I th- where that is. Not only, well, you can see some architecture in the doorway. I think that, and then the right. uh, the that wood looks paneling. Like wood. Yeah, the wood paneling around the around the uh the mirror in the bar. This is supposed to be sort of a like an an older traditional bar. This isn't like G.I. Joe headquarters comic overlook hotel. So, um I'm going to say A, those are that's an ugly color for those gradients for those backgrounds. B, it's unnecessary, right? That could just be a single color and see whatever the color is. It's the wrong color for this scene. Cause you know, this should be like dark Oak, like a dark Brown, you know, cause yeah. it's like a Washington DC bar. Which means it you know, it was built in the fifties or the twenties or something. It's like a little classy anyway. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I mean, the, you
2: know, Devils do colors. It's,
1: you know, it's it's 2004 and it's not just Devils do. It's a lot of publishers and it's a lot of colorists. Um, you know, everything is rendered, even though not everything has to be. Yeah, Backgrounds are rendered. Small pieces of equipment are rendered. Like cheekbones are rendered. Uh, clothing is rendered, you know, but like cloth tends not to have a lot of color variation on it. If you just have like army greens, you know. It's, there's not, it's not that busy. So anyway, uh, Tim, Tim color complaint file number six. <laughs> <laughs> file it, check off that box. Yeah,
2: at this point, it's like insert yep. color gripe.
0: <laughs> yeah, if, if you want, we can just record a, a stat one and I'll paste <laughs> it in
2: um, every episode. That That's fine. <laughs>
0: uh, okay, so, so I think- We need think a
2: checklist we've... at the beginning before we start talking about it. Flat. I mean, one angle perspective panels. Check bad colors. Check.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we should, we should really have the devil's due colors on the, on the sort of the cool sheet, really. Now, okay, we've, we've done the, we've done error detected. Now let's do the (laughs) colors. I will
1: give, I will give Tim Seeley and, and the background person credit for consistency. And even though I'd like more out of the art, um, I, I would rather this kind of art every issue for many issues than, uh, a drastically different artist, every issue. And some, some that I like more and some that I like less, you know, like the, the consistency is, is nice.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, what, like we talked about different artists, you know, having longer runs and, and, uh, I went through and and picked out all the, you know, the Sealy and Gerald ones and, and, uh, you know, this is an era there's I don't, I don't even remember how many there are. There's definitely more than 10 that they did that they did together. So it's nice whenever you get a and even somebody like on the original run. You know, you talk about different artists, Rod Wiggum, uh, Ron Wagner, one of the ones that always come to mind for me when I think about the original era having a run was uh, Frank Springer and I didn't really like Springer's art. Um, so I just it seemed to me like there was a lot of Frank Springer. But when I look back on him, he only did like six issues um and they were kind of spread out but yeah whenever you've got one artist that's on a book for a little while it does create a nice nice sense of consistency and it's appreciated by fans he's
0: yeah he's on the scene you know is a is an era in itself really he's on the best you know best part of of 20 issues in a in a row um yeah it was
2: it was it was a lot
1: I sometimes think of something that Carlos Pacheco said in the 90s when he did the Bishop miniseries, that X-Men mm-hmm. spinoff miniseries. Uh, this was, is this was before he took over X-Men all too briefly. I think this was before he took over Excalibur all too briefly. But he did a Starjammers miniseries and a Bishop miniseries. And he said, it's hard because right when you si- finally figure out sort of how to draw the character or you're your take on the character it's issue four and the story's over. Hmm. And that's something that I think we don't give artists enough credit or slack for that. Yes. You know, a comics artist who's a professional should be a professional and they should hit the ground running. But um, you know, costumes, equipment locations uh, can be a real challenge. You know, your first issue, your second issue. And Um, And you you warm up and, you know, by the end of the issue, you might feel more comfortable, you know, like, I don't know if you're drawing Matt Murdock in a Daredevil comic, he's going to have a certain body language when he's, I don't know, uh, in a courthouse. Or if you're, you know, drawing a Superman comic and you've been drawing a lot of Batman comics, all of a sudden you've got these daytime scenes and like the Daily Planet scenes are very different than, you know, Bruce Wayne talking with- Yeah, talking with Alfred in the Batcave and Bruce Wayne's still wearing his costume and he's like, I won't eat, Alfred. I need to solve this crime. And so...
0: (laughs) I think I've read that issue.
1: (laughs) And then you add the fact that this is a team book, G.I. Joe. um, And it, it flips back the other way because some people who have been hired to draw the comic after the first 10 years grew up as fans of the comic and there is a familiarity. But, you know, the rubber hits the road and you're actually drawing... 22 pages of continuity um so um i i do appreciate though i see weaknesses in seely there is a handsomeness to it Mm -hmm. you know like everyone everyone looks good you know he's not drawing ugly he's not drawing inconsistently Mm -hmm. um i i want i want more flair
0: i think i've said something similar before which is that the the consistency and that that long run i think elevates it beyond just, um, beyond just, you know, the impact of the art of a single issue. Um, yeah. Shall we give this a Yo-Jo score? Yeah. Yep. Uh, open that can of YoJo Cola. Yo-Jo Cola, not grape soda. It's yo jo Tom, Tom, Tom. Tom. Who who wants to start
2: I will yeah just real 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 quick uh to recap I did enjoy it I thought it was uh was good they got me with the you know the twist with the hot wife I thought uh <laughs> what's going on here so yeah and, and it kind of builds um the one thing that I like I said I had to reread the paragraph or two where they're talking about all the cobras getting killed And I was like, what (laughs) that No, that you can't just kill all those characters off screen, you know? And then when I got to the end of the issue, I was like, oh, okay, So it was all a dream. And then I was like, wait a minute. This is also devil's do. Maybe those characters are are actually dead (laughs) because they've gotten their own continuity screwed up. And I was like, no, no, that have faith. Next issue, they're all be alive. Uh, But yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good twist. You know, there were some rough spots. Primarily just with the art and color, but, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was different than, different than, uh, than any other Joe comic. And, uh, I think that, that was interesting. That, that made it, uh, uh, that made it better. I think that it was just, uh, it was something different. So, um, mm-hmm. I'm going seven.
0: Cool. I think I'll go seven too. Uh, that's that's seven also, not seventy two. That would be my highest score <laughs> today, which would be unwarranted. You love this issue. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's solid. I think I think there's a, there's a lot of um, Seely's art here in in terms of his his depictions of the the characters um, that, that I think uh, works well. Um, it's a different story, and when when someone tries to do something different, I think. That that's always uh, that's always interesting, um, but on the on the you know converse to that, it doesn't necessarily move the story on a huge amount. It, it you know it sort of does tread water and, and spend time in the hawk headspace rather than progressing the the overall GI joke versus Cobra story. So so yeah, quite you know quite happy with the with this one overall seven.
1: I'm teetering between a 5 and a 6 because there is some good drama in here. But, you know, we have seen, I have experienced this kind of story before. It was all a dream. I actually think the first time, the first time I saw it in comics, I think it's issue, it's 17 or 18 of the original Eastman and Laird Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, I think it's Michelangelo's having this like samurai adventure in... Feudal Japan, and you get to the last page, and it's just a story he's writing in his notebook. He's talking that to that his the cat. one
2: that's not the one drawn by Michael Zully, is it?
1: No, uh, Zully did um Soul's Winter, which is a trilogy of issues that's yeah. like 24, 25, 26. This, Beautiful. I think, is I think this is a Michael Talbot issue, I think it's Eastman and oh, okay. Talbot. Um, and at the end, he's he's like f- closes his notebook and he's talking to his cat. And he says, like, what a cool story, right? And I thought, whoa, it was all just a story. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I was was in sixth grade. Bloop, bloop, bloop. Fact check. Michael Zelley's Soul's Winter is a single issue. Issue 31, 24, 25, 26 is a trilogy by Rick Veach. Bloop, bloop, bloop. Um, So I'm going to give this a five. Uh, not a not a bad five with a frown and a finger wag um, <laughs> but a but a five
2: i think that this is uh, one last little comment here this is uh optimistic i think of of the uh of the publishers to do an issue like this and, and i mean that you wouldn't. You wouldn't do this in a mini series. This is obviously an issue that is only going to take place in an ongoing series where you think that you've got time to tell a longer mm-hmm. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So that for sure. It. Yeah, yeah, and I think that you know Brandon was head was there that that he was in this for the long haul, telling a longer and, story, yeah. and was was there to tell the, the longer story, and and you know not rush things.
2: Cool. Good on jerwa
0: so uh, next time on Talking Joe Disavowed, we will continue our look at the Brandon Jawa era of G.I. Joe. Uh, we will be covering the Wraith backup story over that uh, we've been skipping past uh, these, these last three issues. And then we'll move on to the next arc, issues 34 and 35, a story called Bad Moon Rising. Uh, over on the regular show, we're continuing to cover a as it comes out, possibly fortnightly at the moment. Uh, the latest arc is high stakes uh, with returning uh, superstar artist uh, S.L. Gallant. Uh, and we're continuing our run to the milestone at 300 at the end of the year. Um, so you can find Talking Joe at the normal places. Those places are linked to from talkingjoe.co.uk, which is the website. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, contact us, and Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Talking where our backers Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher, and Justin are all getting early access to episodes as well as exclusive content. So that's where you can find Talking Joe, but where can people find you, Jay? Break room Sketches on Facebook. And Tim.
1: Hub Comics in Somerville, Massachusetts, and a Real American book.com on the internet
0: tim what's your what's your stock of gi joe comics from devil's Due and associated reprints looking like at this point in time
1: we don't have the disavowed paperbacks but most of them are in print we could special order them maybe a third of the devil's due issues i think in the dollar bin
0: Dollar bin, wow. (laughs) Uh, They're
1: they're not bagged and boarded, so they may not be near mint. They may be very fine. You know, not not because people are rifling through them and destroying them, but because dollar bins get a little rifled through.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think part of the fun of dollar bin is that they're not bagged and boarded. Um, Excellent. So um, I think that is us done. But remember,
2: nobody beats talking, Joe a real american podcast
0: that covers multinationalities and regions
2: (laughs) (laughs) number 233 in hong kong's was it apple podcast most listened to yeah yeah please you know (laughs) all those those
0: thousands of uh hong kong listeners reach out say hello send us a message anyway (laughs) later
1: Okay, I'm going to make a little chimey noise and do a fact check for you to insert. Okay. (laughs) Okay, ready? (laughs) Bloop, bloop, bloop. Fact check.